Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April the 29th, and our chapter for today is Ezra chapter 1. Well, this is going to be an introduction to the context of the book of Ezra. Ezra is an exciting figure in the Bible, and he had so much influence on those that would come after him. And we will go through that over the next few days. I want to begin in this podcast to familiarize you with the timeline surrounding the book of Ezra and where he came into the picture. As you will recall, the book of Second Chronicles, which Ezra wrote, he wrote the book of Chronicles, and now it is divided into two sections, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. That was done during the days of the writing of the Septuagint and the categorization and the order of the books of the Bible as we now have them in our English Bibles. That's not the way they were categorized and ordered in the Hebrew Bible, which Jesus would have read and that he would have been familiar with, that is talked about in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24 and verse 44, where the three sections of the Hebrew Bible are delineated. But instead of Malachi being the last book of the Bible, as in the Greek Bible, in the Septuagint, you have the book of Chronicles as the last book of the entire Tanakh of the Old Testament. And so when we left the material in Second Chronicles, it is the same material as you will see in Ezra chapter 1. For instance, if you look at the fall of Jerusalem, if you will look in chapter 36 of Second Chronicles, verse 22 says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Notice that. God did it so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. This is Cyrus talking, writing it down. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, this is an unbelieving king. It is the king of a foreign nation, not an Israelite, that said God had commanded him to build a house at Jerusalem, that is, a house of worship. Who is among you of all of his people? May Yahweh, may Hashem, may Yah his God be with him and let him go up. Now that's Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 22 and 23. When you open to Ezra chapter 1, which is our text for today, notice it says the very same thing. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, and he went through the same thing that he has mentioned in Second Chronicles 36, but notice he adds to it. He gives a more full picture. So he says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven. Notice he mentions when he is giving the full accounting of this, not a summary as in 2 Chronicles 36. He is giving a full accounting of all that Cyrus did and said in this relation. And he said that all the kingdoms of the earth, Hashem, the Lord, Yahweh. And he named the God of the Jews, called him by name, The God of heaven has given me this, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all of his people? May God, his God, be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of, look at this, Hashem, the God of Israel. He is God. Do you see that? That's in parentheses, a parenthetical statement. He wanted people to know that indeed he, the God of the Jews, he is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And then it goes on to talk about all that was given and all the preparations that were made. And we're going to learn about how all of this came about. But I want to give the context, the historical context. Remember, it was the Babylonians who defeated the Assyrians. That happened at the fall of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria in 612 BC. Now you need to get these dates down and draw a timeline. You could just write them down sequentially. 612 was the fall of Nineveh. That was the official end of the reign of the Assyrians as the most powerful nation on earth. And they reigned for a good while in ancient history, but they were met by Nebuchadnezzar, who was the father of Nebuchadnezzar, and the Babylonians defeated all of the Assyrian army. And then they met at Carchemish in 609. And that was the final route, not just of the uh, fall of Nineveh, but the last vestiges of uprising of the Assyrians. They were joined by Pharaoh Necho that we've already read about in the life of Yoshiahu, named Josiah, as we call him. Remember, he killed the king of Israel named Josiah. That is, one of his archers did. And in Megiddo, in the Valley of Jezreel at the Arun Pass, when Josiah went out to try to defeat the king of Egypt and stop him from joining the Assyrians because he wanted the Babylonians to win. And so we remember Pharaoh Necho said, what are you doing, young man? You don't need to come out. God has sent me here 
The reason God had sent him there is so that he could be defeated along with the armies of the Assyrians. That all happened in 609 at the Battle of Carchemish, which is in northern Syria. In 605, just four years later, after winning strategic strongholds all the way down to the river of Egypt, he came back north on his way, that is Nebuchadnezzar, back to his homeland of Babylon. He came to the great kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, and he took away Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. And he took them to Babylon along with hundreds of others of the most elite, educated of all the people of Israel. And he came back again after Puppet King did not work out that he had set up. He came back in 597 B.C. and he took away almost everyone. He took away all of the things that were in the temple that were not nailed down, that were not part of the walls or whatever the case is. Then he took away also at this time Ezekiel. Now remember, Daniel was already in the palace. This was 597 B.C. We're in the 500s now. And this was just a few years after the first phase of the captivity in 605. And when he came back, he took away all of the common people and uh, took them captive. That was the strategy of the Babylonians. Unlike the Assyrians that mixed all the peoples of all the nations they conquered, Babylon wanted to have full control and use them as slaves and to set them up as merchants and so forth to serve the great kingdom of Babylon. So he took them back to the city of Babylon near what is modern day Baghdad in Iraq. And so the wonders of Babylon you can read about in the great historians of that day. It was a tremendous city, and the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were just too much to even talk about in this podcast. And so all of that happened, and Ezekiel was taken, was between the rivers Mesopotamia as a prophet to the common people. Nebuchadnezzar said, if I have to come back, I will destroy the city. Well, sure enough, there was another uprising and the kings that he had set up did not cooperate. So Nebuchadnezzar sent back in his secretary of defense and his uh, generals, and they totally destroyed the city of Jerusalem, totally destroyed, laid in waste and left in ruins the city of Jerusalem, the beautiful temple that Solomon had built. They took it down stone by stone built fires up against it, exploded the limestone, and nothing was left of the beautiful Temple of Solomon. They broke up all the gold. They stripped the doors of the gold and silver that were on them, took away all those nails that weighed two pounds of solid gold in the hinges of the doors. They took all of that. They took everybody, and Jeremiah was still in Jerusalem at this time, and you'll recall in his prophecies how he prophesied that they would only be away for 70 years so that the land would observe its Sabbaths, its sabbatical years, and then after the land had its rest for 70 years, God would raise up the children of Israel and bring them back into their land, and uh, God would cause them to have a heart of repentance, and indeed they did. And so that happened in 586 when the beautiful temple that Solomon had built was destroyed, and Babylon was firmly 
in control, but that did not last long. It was a very short-lived kingdom because God raised up an anointed one that he had named through the prophet Isaiah some 200 years earlier that there would be an anointed one that would be raised up. Yes, the word anointed is the word Mashiach. He would raise up someone that would deliver his people, and he would be a heathen king by the name of Cyrus. And Cyrus indeed was raised up by God, and he was raised up to free the people from their captivity and to send them back in to build the central worship center that had been destroyed. And indeed, that's what happened. So Cyrus came to power in 559 B.C. He reigned until 530 In 539, 539, 20 years after he started reigning, he completely conquered Babylon, destroyed Babylon, and uh, took over. He had started reigning in Persia in 559 over the kingdom of the Medes and of the Persians and conquered all the land around Babylon, and then he conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. Again, you can read about this in the history books, and you can read about it in the Bible when the hand came and wrote upon the wall, uh, you have been weighed in the balances and you have come up short. You've come up lacking. You remember that when the handwriting was on the wall, Babylon was conquered. That happened in 539 B.C. Read about it in the book of Daniel. Shortly after, just a year later, Cyrus issued a decree, and you can read about it here that we just did in the last chapter of Second Chronicles, the first chapter of Ezra, that a decree was issued that all the Jews could go home, and not just go home, but go home and build a house of worship to replace the one that the Babylonians had destroyed, and to till the land and to be good citizens of the Persian kingdom. After the decree, only 50,000 went back. 50,000 was a lot, but it was not anything near the population that had been taken away. And so it took three years for enough to go back and to begin to build the temple, which they did in 535 B.C., after a year, they were challenged by the local population And in that challenge, they were discouraged, and they began to build their own houses and leave the house of God with just the foundation laid. It stayed that way for 14 years until God sent two fiery prophets, one by the name of Haggai and the other by the name of Zechariah. And they preached the word of God, preached messages for a period of time, for a season, for about a year. And then the people responded. And in four years, they went back to work. And within four years, they had built the second temple in 516. They dedicated it. So there was a central worship center once again, not with the glory and splendor of the Temple of Solomon, but yet a great building and a great place to worship. And so all of this went on under that first return of Zerubbabel, all of his cohort, and we'll read about those in the chapters ahead. It was an amazing time in the life and history of Israel, but there was a spiritual vacuum 
That was not really filled until Ezra began to come back in what was called the second return. And now you remember Esther, her great feat of deliverance, God used her to deliver her people. That happened in between the time of the return and building of the temple from the building of the temple down to the time of Ezra. But Ezra came back and led a group of returnees in 458. Now, the next man that we're going to learn about is Nehemiah, and he came back and rebuilt the walls in 444 B.C. It's easy to remember, 444 B.C. But 14 years earlier, Ezra had come back and begun the work of spiritually building the people up. He was a priest. He was a scribe, and we're going to learn all about him. But Ezra changed forever. Even unto this day, even in the days of Jesus, Jesus was still observing what Ezra had started in 458 B.C. 450 years later, the Son of God was doing what Ezra had taught the people to do. And in this book, we will learn all about that. And it will be a wonderful thing for you and I to learn together because it affected the life of the Lord Jesus. It affects every Jew that is alive today that has a heart toward God. They are still observing worldwide what Ezra started 458 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I can't wait to tell you all about it as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.